Hey everyone, this is Sam Culpepper bringing you the Culpepper Chronicles, where myself and special guests hope to bring you, the listener, more information in regards to self-sufficiency, fieldcraft, survival, marksmanship, gear, and theory with the aids of not only personal experience and opinion, but historical and technical documentation as well. All in the hopes to better prepare you for impending collapse and hard times to come. Now, pull up a seat and let's get down to it. everybody, this is Sam coming to you with Season 2, Episode 9 uh, of the Culpepper Chronicles. Today we are going to be talking about rucksacks and ruck weight and things to consider with that. It's not going to be a super long podcast episode, I don't think. It's going to be another uh, dashboard confessional style because, again, my truck seems to be the only time I have to uh, sit down and record these anymore. But um, recently on Instagram, I've been posting different pictures of uh rucksacks and the things that I, you know, have set up and and stuff like that and it's had a ton of engagement and there's been a lot of questions that I thought were pretty basic or uh common sense questions to me and I realized really it's just because I've been thinking about it for a while and I've been doing it for a while and it's not that I've lived my entire life out of a rucksack, you know, I have no uh personal military history or anything like that in which I've traveled vast distances with a rucksack and lived out of it. Um I did, you know, camping a lot when I was a kid. I've done, uh, my own stuff lately. Um, I've packed up full rucksacks and I've rucked them around my area. Um, I just transitioned packs to a, a, a larger pack. Uh, and I haven't really, uh, had a whole lot of time underfoot with that, uh, outside of just testing it and testing the balance and things like that around my house. Uh, but with my last pack, which is around like 40 pounds is kind of how I kept it. 40 to 45 pounds I had about 100 miles uh, walking around my area over the last year or so which in the grand scheme isn't just a ton but it's more than most uh, definitely less than a lot of people so uh, I thought we'd get into it and talk about some of the things that uh, you should consider this is not going to be a uh, a packing list or a packing order episode because simply put I cannot tell you what to pack outside of the basic necessities as long as you are covering survival shelter fire water things like that um, I can't tell you what you need because your area may be different than my area. Uh, for instance, when it comes to sleep systems, I don't necessarily need a sleep system uh, that's going to allow me to sleep comfortably in the teens or lower uh, in, in terms of Fahrenheit. I don't, I don't live in the Celsius area. Um, but in terms of Fahrenheit, very often, if at all, I mean, maybe once or twice a year I may need that. Um, it's just the area that I live in stays in the twenties and above. And it's typically even in the winter, it's in the thirties. Now we'll have winter storms like the one that's coming through right now where the temperatures will dip, will dip down. But on average, you're looking at, you know, upper twenties, low thirties. So I don't need a sleep system that's going to, uh, carry me into that closer to zero degree Fahrenheit temperature and weather, uh, very often at all. So I don't, have to have the ability to pack that. Uh, when you start getting into cold weather gear, you start getting into a lot of bulk and you get into a lot of bulk really quick. So you need a bigger pack for that. So if, if you live somewhere where it's cold the majority of the time, or you're trying to like set up a 
an Arctic weather pack and then have like a separate, you know, fair weather pack, then you need to consider the pack size and consider your area. Um, just like with water, if you live in an area that has hardly any water, you live in the desert or something like that, uh, where water is sparse, you need to be factoring in packing in more water. Um, for my area, it, it's relatively wet. We do have dry seasons. Um, even during dry seasons, water can be found if you know where to find it. It's not nearly as sparse as somewhere like an arid or desert environment. Um, but it's definitely not as, uh, as precipitous as something like the Pacific Northwest. So I have to kind of toe the line between carrying a lot of water seasonally and, and not a lot of water, depending on where I'm at and what I'm doing. So like for me, um, right now, the pack that I'm using is a uh, Crossfire Australia DG16. Uh, it's kind of the happy medium size pack for me. Um, it's the Goldilocks size. So I had a DG3 for about a year, year and a half, really liked it. But I kept running into when I would pack in my sleep system for the colder weather. Um, I, I really ate up a lot of room with inside my rucksack. And uh, I didn't really care for that. Now, it's not that I necessarily needed all that room, but if I did, if I needed to pack in more, I just didn't have the capability uh, like I would like. It would have been doable, but then you're having to get to really tight packing systems. Um, and that's not necessarily ideal if you have to toss everything in your ruck and go. So uh, I'm currently using the DG16. And with that, um, for my water solution, I'm carrying, let's see here, two, four, I've got seven liters of water uh, on the pack and I also have a crossfire uh, DG1 Spitfire that I, is a uh, it's it's like an assault back panel that also has it, it's like their version of an Eagle Yote if you know what an Eagle Yote is um, and on that I've got a 3 liter bladder as well so I can have up to 10 liters of water um, on my rucksack not counting the 2 quarts that I keep on my belt kit so when you get to that point you're factoring in a lot of weight um and you need to factor all that in with your area. Do I have to carry all that water all the time? No, I don't. Um, but it's kind of a baseline for me. And the less that I have to rely on my area, the better. But uh, Because I don't have to worry as much logistically. Um, I don't have to worry about, oh, is this going to be a dry hole? You know, this water source that was really good last month. Is it still there? Has it been tainted? Has an animal died in it? Um, I don't have to worry about, you know, gathering and filtering and purifying water as much. Uh, because that's also a vulnerable time if you're if you're looking at downtime and you're focused on something else other than your own personal security uh, that's a vulnerable time so the more you can pack in if you can handle that way if you can handle that balance uh, the better you just have to understand there's kind of like a tipping point so um, let's talk about pack sizes and and what you're going to be doing with pack sizes so for me uh, a one to three day pack you're looking at like the 50 to 55 liter range. Uh, that seems like a lot, but it's really not when you start packing it in, especially if you were having to pack in a sleep system. So that's kind of where I ran into with the DG3. So it's a it's a 50 to 55 liter pack. It's an external frame pack. I think external frames are great for uh, heavy loads. I don't necessarily feel like it's necessary for anything under about 50 pounds. I think an internal frame can handle it. It's not gonna handle it as well as an external frame pack, but, but under 50 pound mark, I think an internal frame is going to do fine. Uh, just in my experience, you'll always get more strength and rigidity out of an external pack though. And it just tends to have more load cap capability. 
So at that point, you can look at something like the DG3 or the DG3 Slick, which is an internal frame version. The uh, standard DG3 can be converted into internal frame if you want to. Um, so with that 50 to 55 liter pack size, uh, you can go for the one to three day. If you attach a bunch of pouches on the outside, you can definitely extend that. That's kind of the route that I wanted with the DG3. And when it was all said and done, I was like, I didn't really care for adding a ton to the outside because it, that pack size, I was trying to stay mobile, um, especially in my area. And uh, I have a lot of thick foliage and stuff like that. So it, it kept kind of being a snag hazard. I was like, ah, let's, let's see about going to a bigger pack size. So um, if you want to extend past that one to three day range, you're looking at like that 55 to 85 range. So um, that's where the DG16 comes into play for me. It's kind of like a DG3, but with a sleep system built under it. Um, so it's got an internal sleep system compartment and then it's a DG3 size on top of it. So I get all of the load capability and capacity of the DG3, but I don't have to fight my sleep system for that, cap that capability and, uh, and capacity. Uh, so that's kind of the, the happy spot for me. I can go, I can feasibly go for a week if I pack right with a DG16. Now, that's that's if I pack right for my area. I don't have to pack in a ton of stuff all the time. I could go longer, I could go shorter uh, because it can compress down and pack down. So I also have a, uh, a what they call the, the DG or, or just the Mark 7 long range reconnaissance pack so that's 110 liters and that's when you get into those big boy packs that can hold a ton and you're looking at like a week plus of uh of time out away from from everything and it's a really good system it's more bag than i need um which is why i'm sticking with the dg16 it's kind of like that like i said it's that goldilocks size for me um but at that point you're getting into it's like a dg16 which is 85 liters and uh it's got a sleep system on top of that so it's just even more load capability and capacity and for me like if i was someone who lived in a very open area and i was going to be out for a week at a time the mark 7 makes perfect sense or especially if you're in the arctic weather um, i know they're coming out with some arctic packs too so uh, until that happens the mark 7 has all the capability that you would need for a full-on uh sleep system you know sub temp sleep system along with all of your uh your ecws uh ex extreme cold weather system clothing so all your other layers and stuff like that so like if, if you're somewhere in in that area and you want all that low capability and capacity i highly suggest the mark 7 so um when it comes to rucks a lot of people, so I personally use belt kit. I use a uh, Velocity Systems Jungle Rig for my belt line. I've used them, uh, I had a multicam one, and I just recently sold that for Ranger Green just because I prefer uh, pretty much anything but multicam for my area. Um, I've used them for going on two years now, so this summer will be two years because I've had it since, yeah, so uh, it'll be, it'd be two years since I've been using that system this one is definitely different, not only in colorway, but in how I did the pouch system. I didn't just buy a cookie cutter set. I bought all the individual pieces that I wanted. But that being said, there's a lot of people when I post pictures of me with the belt kit, they're like, oh, well, that's going to suck with a ruck. Or uh, I'll post a picture of the, the belt kit with uh, the ruck on top of it. Like, oh, that's got to be awful on your shoulders. So uh, something to consider is if you are setting up belt kit, um, 
you don't necessarily, as long as you set it up correctly and you have a pack that will allow it, have to use a hip belt from the pack um, because you can transfer the weight of the pack onto the belt kit. So anyone who uses a, uh, a belt system like the Jungle Rig or Alice Kit or the British belt system, um, if you use it correctly and you know what you're doing, all of the weight's transferred to your hips. So when you throw on a short backpack, which is what they call like a, a shorter back panel section pack, like a short back Bergen, which is something the British are big on, uh, or something like the Crossfire series that can be set up for a uh, short pack. Uh, when you throw that on, it sets directly on top of the belt kit in the back. So your belt kit acts like a shelf that the pack sets on all the way to the pack then transfers into the belt kit, which transfers to your hips. So your hips are naturally load-bearing. That's an anatomical thing. I've talked about that before. When that happens, like 10% of the weight of the belt kit and the pack actually transfer to your shoulders. So people, if you are someone who is used to wearing a ruck and you notice that you get that decreased mobility in your arms and your shoulders because you're having to fight the shoulder straps. Um, if you're using belt kits because you've got the uh, pack not resting on the belt kit. If you're not using belt kit but you're actually using the uh, hip belt of the pack, it's because you don't have it setting on your hips and letting your hips take that weight. So if you're sitting there and you're getting frustrated and you're like, man, I can't move, I can't climb, I can't do anything with this pack on, I just feel like I'm burdened, especially in the shoulders, most likely you have it set up incorrectly and you're not transferring the weight of that pack onto your hips. So just a little food for thought there. Um, let me see here. What's some other things that, uh, oh, so pack weight. If you are sitting there wanting to carry the kitchen sink into the field and you are saying, hey, I'm going to live indefinitely a week plus at a time in the field, understand that that thing is going to be heavy. If you are seriously considering that, you are going to have to pack in weight. And when you start packing in more and more weight, you become less and less effective underfoot. There is a difference between like an approach march or a, uh, a travel weight and a fighting weight. So this is something I've talked about in the past. If you are looking at fighting weight, uh, statistically and scientifically, it's been proven that 50 pounds is kind of the max. Now that's counting a rifle, that's counting fighting kit, and that's counting sustainment gear. So for someone who is uh, using like for me, so my belt kit is 25 pounds. Uh, it's 20, I'm, I'm at 28 pounds with the belt kit plus the rifle. Uh, it's not that I have a three pound rifle, I'm just saying that like I've weighed it and every time I weigh it, it comes in right at like 27.6 pounds when I've got the belt kit on and I've got the uh, rifle slung to my chest. So at, we'll say, we'll say 30 pounds. So at 30 pounds total, I've only got 20 pounds left that I can work with uh, for, for my pack and sustainment gear in terms of fighting. That gets ate up pretty quick if you think about it. So um, the difference is I don't have to carry as much in my pack because I'm leveraging more capability out of my belt kit. So someone who is uh, sitting there with a plate carrier, if you've got, you know, 15 pounds of plates and, and armor and PC on, and then you throw on a pistol belt on top of that, and you're sitting there at 25 pounds, you're at 25 pounds just for your fighting order, not counting your rifle, and then you have to factor in sustainment as well. So then you are fully living out of your pack. So it's things to consider with that. Um, as far as approach loads go, I really think that, you know, sub 100 pounds total is probably the goal, in my opinion. Uh, a lot of people argue that you can go higher than that. 
but for me and my experience that that right at 100 pounds mark uh for the total uh pack weight plus belt kit or or fighting order plus rifle um at that point you're getting all the capability you can get without being an absolute complete no-go in the field uh so understand like i said if you are considering patrol operations in which you are having to hump all of your crap in set up a patrol base and then operate out of set patrol base you are going to have to carry more stuff um there is the wonderful thought process of living off the land and leveraging uh, less weight in your pack because you're going to live off the land and that's a very valiant thing and it's certainly doable but what you have to understand is nature has a say in that so if you are planning on you know going out for a week at a time doing patrol base ops and setting snares and foraging that's great but if you can't catch anything uh in your snares because the animals aren't aren't you know out and about as much because of the weather or uh you aren't having any luck foraging because the animals have picked it clean or it's not been a good year as far as foraging goes you are now out and about with less weight because you have less crap with you because you can't live as long and you have then shortchanged your operation uh or your operational capabilities so understand when you are carrying stuff in you have to try and factor that stuff in uh you have to be able to live and survive you don't have to thrive necessarily but you have to be able to live and survive so um where does this come into for people in the civilian type of context maybe we're not going out setting up patrol bases but you are still having to do security patrols uh those security patrols ideally would be like a day but what if inclement weather hits or you come into contact or someone gets hurt and you now got that one to three day range so that's when you get into things like i mentioned before the uh the crossfire dg3 um the 16 can do that too because it can compress down to roughly a dg3 size but a crossfire dg3 is is going to be a little bit lighter frame set wise because it's got a smaller frame um and it's going to handle that a little bit better um the issue that i I ran into a lot of the times with the dg3 was when i was trying to to quote unquote fight in it 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 kind of worked against me because of its longer external frame uh it worked well with belt kit but it was especially when i prone um the top of the frame would hit me in the back of the head and shove my face down so at that point i was having to ditch the ruck in order to fight well the crappy thing to that is if you're leveraging your sustainment gears in your ruck uh and you ditch that and then you can't get back to it then you only have kind of what's in your pockets and what's in your kit so you can you can work around that to a degree um, especially if you set it up kind of how the British do, like with a smock um, and belt kit, which is something that I kind of prefer and do a lot of. You can get by without your rug, but you're not going to extend your, your time frame without your rug. So ideally, you want something that you can not only work in if you're having to do patrol operations around your property or around your community for that one to three day time frame, but also fight in and not have to ditch. So what I'm going to be working with in the future, as soon as it comes in, is the uh, Plat Attack Tropical Ruck. So uh, that's going to be something more in lines with, uh, if, you, if you're familiar with military history, and especially like MACV SOG and LRPs, the, uh, the Tropical Lightweight Rucksack that uh, the U.S. military um, issued, or like the Indige Rucksack. It's a smaller rucksack. It's still load-capable. It's got a smaller frame set. Um, 
it's that 50 to 55 liters, but it's leveraged throughout different pockets. Um, that's what I'm going to be trying, and I'm hoping that that will work out to be able to operate similar to how they did, where they fought, they lived and fought in their rucksack. And ideally, I think that's what we should be looking at um, as time goes on and as I mess with this more. The idea of going out and spending, you know, a week to two weeks at a time soldiering is great. And it's not necessarily outside of the realm of possibility for someone who's going to be like, you know, a modern day frontiers homesteader. But if you look at it historically, you had it, like the 17th, the 1700s to 1800 frontier area. Um, you had people who lived in isolated areas that would then roam. You had roaming uh, rangers and woodsmen and woodrunners that would travel the area to patrol for security reasons as well as deliver communications and and keep up uh, community involvement. And then you would have everyone, like, if things were getting wild, would go to a station and to a hard point and, uh, and consolidate there to fight off whatever was going on. So if you think about it in that regard, you are going to have to be out traveling your area, maintaining security, because if you're not actively patrolling, you're allowing things to move around without your, your knowledge. Um, if you're going to be doing that, you have to be able to leverage movement capabilities, sustainment capability, as well as understanding that if you're out and about, you are going to only be you or maybe your crew. So you don't have the logistics or supply line for someone to bring you any more uh, things that you need necessarily outside of caches or friendly uh, individuals that you can leverage supplies from. So you have to factor all this in and understand that there's a difference between a long-term, long-range uh, patrol operations, survival load, and like a fighting load. Uh, once you understand that and you understand that you have basic necessities and you don't necessarily have to uh, thrive, you just have to survive for that time frame, you can pack a little bit lighter, pack a little bit better. And I'm wanting to say, I haven't tested it yet, but I'm going to be testing it. Something like that Platycat, that Platytech Tropical Ruck is going to work out well for you. There's other options, but something in that size frame um, is going to work out well for you in the context of what we're going for. So uh, hopefully this was helpful. I know it was a little bit rambling, uh, but hopefully it was helpful. And if you have any questions, feel free to get a hold of me on my Instagram at uh, Mr. Sam Culpepper. And uh, as always, guys, take it easy. God bless you and be with your families.